Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Man, isn't that something? We've been talking all about this passage Jesus asking those disciples of John the Baptist, what are you looking for? And that's the gospel we have today. What a coincidence. Not a coincidence. Okay. I was thinking at the start of Mass, I'm like, I don't know if I've ever preached to a more like primed congregation in my life. Should institute mandatory viewings of Les Mis at my parish before Sunday Mass. Holy smokes. Like, I said to Elizabeth, I'm like, how am I supposed to say Mass now? Like, what am I supposed to say? All right, well, we'll see what the Lord does here. So, there's a particular word that gets used over and over and over again in John's Gospel that's distinct. It doesn't really appear in the other Gospels just as much. And the verb in Greek is meno. Meno. It translates to abide or remain or stay. Uh, We're probably most familiar with the usage of this verb in John 15, where Jesus is talking about the vine and the branches. Abide in me as I abide in you. Remain in me, remain in you. Mano, 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 over and over and over again. So that's a verb that we hear in the gospel today. So you got these disciples of the John the Baptist. They approach Jesus, following him from behind. He turns and he asks them that question. What are you looking for? What are you seeking What do you desire? We've been talking so much about the significance of Jesus' question here, right? Engaging their eros, engaging that part of their heart that longs for more. We've been talking so much about that. So I'm not going to delve into that too much. I want to look at their response. Because their response is highly instructive for us, I think. Because they, they don't really answer his question. At least not really. It's not like, what are you looking for? What do you want? What do you desire? It's not a new boat, a million dollars, the death of Herod, you know. It's none of those things. It's none of those things. They do something very Jesus-y, right? So they respond to his question with a question. That's what he does all the time, right? So he asks, what are you looking for? What do you desire? And they ask, where are you staying? There's that verb, meno. Where do you abide? Where do you remain? Where do you stay? And there's layers of meaning here. Layers of meaning. On one level, it's, 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 you can hear this very beautiful childlike part of their hearts. It's just like, we just want to be where you are. We just want to be where you are. Like, we've never experienced anybody like you. We just want to be where you are. We want to be where you are. And his response, of course, come and see, come and you will see, come and become one who sees. This is the problem with translations. It's always tough to translate this stuff. How else might Jesus have responded to their question? Where do you stay? Where do you abide? Where do you live? Where do you remain? He might just as easily have said, I live right in the Father's gaze. I live like directly beneath like squarely in the Father's gaze. That's where he abides. That's where he stays. That's where he remains. That's where he lives. We've been looking at words all week in this course. 
budding etymologists, right? Looking at words and the significance of words and the fact that we have different words for things. Like, I think it's interesting that we have different words for ostensibly the same human phenomenon, right? Looking, seeing, gazing, to be looked at versus being seen versus being gazed upon. Like phenomenologically, just, just in your own heart, you can feel slight shifts in each of those. To be looked at, to be seen, to be gazed upon. I have, uh, I've got an autoimmune eye disease, which uh, I've been dealing with since I was in seventh grade. And uh, I have spent many, many, many hours, years of my life at the Cole Eye Institute in downtown Cleveland. And uh, I've had so many people look at my eyes, look into my eyes. I would never say that any of them have gazed into my eyes. Like my doctor, Dr. Louder, I, wouldn't, I would never say Dr. Louder was gazing into my eyes. Be kind of freaky, <laughs> right? Unless, you know, I was married to Dr. Louder. <laughs> I'm Mr. Louder. <laughs> but spouses, spouses sitting across from each other on an anniversary day, sitting across from each other in a quiet moment, gaze into each other's eyes. There's a difference, right? Jesus, where are you staying? Where do you abide? I abide. I stay in my Father's gaze. I live in that gaze. He delights in me. I do not hide and I'm just the little son who is looked upon with delight by the big father. Like, it's so powerful and interesting, right? That Jesus is the son of God. He's the, he's the eternal son. He's the eternal child. The divine child. The little one who just lets the father gaze upon him. So what about us? Where do we abide? I'll just speak for myself that I feel like it's, it's days can go by, weeks can go by where I don't even realize that I'm abiding in the gazes of other things. And all of a sudden you remember like, oh yeah. The Father has this, this whole time, he's been gazing upon me, delighting in me. That look up, there you are. He doesn't scrutinize us with condemnation. Like he's not waiting for us to mess up. That's not who he is. He looks with delight. Like think of, think of that sculpture that we've been contemplating, Jesus with the woman caught in the act of adultery. What was the entrance song that we just sang? Look full in his wonderful face. And what's it? The things of earth will go strangely dim. Like, look full in his wonderful face. His look, his gaze is not one of, like, patronizing condescension either. The image that came to my mind was, um, like, I get invited over to a lot of parishioners' houses, folks' houses, and they've got, you know, kids and Sometimes the kids will put on like a little show, 
right? Come down to the basement, Father. We want to show you a show. Okay. <laughs> you know, we're going to reenact, you know, the story of St. Patrick. We're going to do whatever it is, you know. And it's not Broadway. I'll just be honest. <laughs> it's, it's not anything spectacular. And you're just like, oh, that's great. It's patronizing, right? It's like, oh, that was great. They're there. That's cute. That's not, that's not his gaze. That's not his gaze. It's never patronizing. It's never there, there. You're so adorable. You try so hard. No, the, the word that comes to my mind, I, I learned this word in a psychology class way back when I was uh, an undergrad. The word engrossment. A word is used for like the phenomenon of like a new mom or a new dad gazing upon their newborn. Engrossment. Like utterly lost in love of this face, this little one, this miracle, this living, breathing miracle in front of you. Like, here you are. Oh, it's so good that you are here. Like, I see you, and I know you, and I love you, and I choose you, and I delight in you, and with you I am so well pleased. Like, Jesus stayed there. That's the menno of the word incarnate. That's where he abided. That's where he remained. That's where he lived. And this is the crazy part, right? This is the crazy part. Because the Christian life is never meant to be just like us standing back, ooing and awing at what the Son of God gets to do. Or ooing and awing at, oh, wow, it must be so great to have been you, Mary. Sucks for us, you know? No. Like, the crazy part is that where he abided, he invites us to abide. It's like, no, 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 I want you to come stand right here and look up and look full into that wonderful face. And will there be suffering in that? Yeah. The suffering is suffering the, the, the love into the darkness. It's the suffering of living as a creature of the night, preferring darkness, and then the lights come on and it's painful. Like I think about when I was in middle school, my mom waking me up in the morning because I'd shut my alarm off so many times. She would come into my room and flick on the lights like a exorcist. And I'm like, ah, you know, it's painful. And she'd rip the sheets off, right? So many pages journaling about this stuff. But it's, it's painful. It's painful to suffer the coming of the light into the darkness because that light, it burns things away. And as it burns things away, it also inspires us and we, as we were talking about this morning, to conform ourselves to, like, who must I be that you gaze upon me? Now I have to conform myself to the reality of being your beloved son. Deacon James Keating, who maybe some of you know him, he was the spiritual director for the Institute for Priestly Formation years ago. He's now at the, uh, he's at Kendrick Glennon Seminary now, but he's a man who changed my life. He, he said this, I quote, to allow oneself to be loved is to allow oneself to be found. Love is suffering because it draws out of us 
our true condition, a condition we have been hiding from others, the one who loves us is like a searching light in his fascination with us. Love wants to know. Love wants to revel in our real presence. The suffering that is love is the pain that is known when sinners attempt to reveal themselves after a lifetime of emotional reserve, independent living, and self-concern. Love's suffering is the pain of coming to life as a gift for another. Ultimately, ultimately, being such a gift and remaining in a posture of self-giving will become joy and not pain. It will become joy and not pain. Come, he's saying. Yeah, come and become one who sees, but come and be where I am. See what it's like to be seen like this, to stay in this place. Come and see what it's like to be gazed upon with such delight. Come and see how good you are. end with this. This is Hans Urs von Balthasar. With a name like that, kindergarten was very hard for him, I'm sure. (laughs) Holiness. Holiness, we could also say prayer, consists in enduring God's glance. Enduring God's glance. It may appear mere passivity to withstand the look of an eye, but everyone knows how much exertion is required when this occurs in an essential encounter. Dr. Louder looking in my eyes, not an essential encounter. Our glances mostly brush by each other indirectly or they turn quickly away or they give themselves not personally, but only socially. So too do we constantly flee from God into a distance that is theoretical, rhetorical, sentimental, aesthetic, or most frequently, pious. Or we flee from him to external works. And yet, the best thing would be to surrender one's naked heart to the fire of this all-penetrating glance, the heart would then itself have to catch fire. Such enduring would be the opposite of a Stoic's hardening his face. It would be yielding, declaring oneself beaten, capitulating, entrusting oneself, casting oneself into him, It would be childlike loving, since for children, the glance of the father is not painful. 
With wide open eyes, they look into his. With wide open eyes. Then he adds this. Little Therese, great little Therese, could do it. To look at him who is looking at you.